Welcome to Reimagining the Contact Center. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guest today is Chip Bell, senior partner at the Chip Bell Group, keynote speaker, and author of Inside Your Customer's Imagination, which, by the way, was a winner of the 2021 Axiom Business Book Award. Chip Bell, welcome. How are you, my friend? I am awesome, but I'm getting better. Oh, amazing. What has you awesome today? Uh, well, I tell you what, this is exciting to me to get to talk to you and to get to talk to all your listeners. Doesn't get any better than that, my friend. Yeah. You know, Chip, I was telling you right uh, when we were uh, offline about how we have seen your uh, speaker picture panel all over the internet about top speakers and, and CX and customer service. And, you know, I think uh, after the third time we saw it, we said, mercy, let's reach out to this guy and have him on. Well, I appreciate that. I'm a, I'm a legend in my own mind. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Good place to be a legend. Uh, better, better than uh, being a criminal in your own mind. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, so Chip, you have written twenty four books. Yeah, Mark, that's more than I've read, though. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> I, I would say it's probably exactly equivalent to the number that you that you've read. <laughs> uh, and your newest one is inside your customer's imagination. Um, I thought that word choice was really interesting because usually when you think about you know the people talking about customer, you say the customer's mind or the customer's expectations, but you use the word imagination for your title, which is like positive. It has this creative slant to it. So what was your thinking behind the title? Well, I think two things. First of all, we in organizations all focus on hopes of their customers' needs and expectations, but I think the innovation comes when we think about their hopes and aspirations. And that takes you into the imagination world. What might we do? What could we do? Um, and, and, and imagine things uh, in, in ways that uh, customers go, well, if you ever thought about this or wonder why you couldn't do this. And so uh, since my area of focus is all around innovative service, it seemed natural to help get the customer engaged and connected in a way that they can be a, a resource, a partner with you in creating ways to more imaginatively, more creatively serve uh, customers to create that great uh, innovative service experience. Right. So when you can, when you think of what customers are imagining, when they paint their perfect picture, what does that picture look like today? What do customers really want? Um, I think they want two things. Uh, well, they probably want many, but I'm, among the things they want to come to mind first is, you know, uh, Leonard Berry, the great uh, researcher in service quality and probably the greatest researcher in the field ever, um, did a lot of stuff that's determined that customers' number one feature in the experiences and service they get is reliability. More than anything, do you keep? Do you do what you say? Do you keep the promise that you make or imply? And I think that's one thing that we have to always keep in mind: is are we really meeting the customers? Are we are, are we delivering it in a way that's that's reliable? But beyond that, I think uh, because customers today don't talk or tweet about good service, it always has to be something out of the ordinary, unique, different, more than they expected way more than expected. I think the more that we can decorate it, I'm going to use that word, in a way that um, causes a story. Um, that, you know, we everybody knows about Net Promoter. And the question at Net Promoter is always, 
would you recommend? Well, I think there's a level beyond would you recommend to a family member or friend, and that is, would you craft a story based on your experience? It kind of sounds like, you ain't going to believe what happened to me. And then everybody's all ears, and they can't wait to hear about it. And that's much more of a demonstration of advocacy, I think, and more likely to move the needle in terms of getting customers to uh, prospects to come in. And so you have to say, well, what would create a story customers would be that eager to tell? And I think that takes you back to that imaginative, creative side. And so to me, it's getting customers to say, tell me what would cause a story. You know, that's to me the, the, the basis. So I think those things are different than they, reliability has always been there. But I think that more uh, whimsical side of service is coming more and more to the forefront, forefront because just meeting my needs is not going to cause me to be excited and be an advocate. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, the the concept of telling a story, I think, is is so uh, underappreciated. But when it happens, you can connect to it. One of the uh, leaders on our customer success uh, team at Balto um, had uh, this amazing experience with Patagonia, where basically yeah. they shipped out a jacket, but there was some problem with the jacket, and they ended up giving him a free jacket and then a second jacket, and he was just above the moon. So uh, his go-to uh, dinner party story, whenever anyone says, oh, I love your Patagonia code, he'll say, well, boy, let me tell you about that. And that is like true customer advocacy versus, you know, oh yeah, you could probably get a jacket from Patagonia. That'd be a place you could go. Like that's a recommendation. That's not sure. a story. Here's what I would have done with that. That's a great story. And here's what I would have done that. I would have said to the customer, I'm really sorry, this, uh, this Patagonia uh, jacket didn't wasn't to your satisfaction. What did you plan to do with it? Where did you plan to go? And you get the customer to tell you a little bit about, well, actually, I was planning to take a trip to the Himalayas and to say, to send them um, a, a um, coupon to give them a, a meal at the most unique, unusual uh, restaurant in the Himalayas. That, to me, would cause them to go, wow, not only did they look at the product that I did and try to make that all right for me, but they stepped into my hopes and aspirations to say, well, where are you going? Well, I'm going to be visiting my Niagara Falls or whatever with that Patagonia jacket. And then they stepped ahead of the game and said, here's something that would delight you related to that experience in your new Patagonia jacket. So to me, it's looking for, well, what can we do that would really blow their mind? Mm -hmm. And when you get a whole culture of employees thinking that way, then, then you got something that's kind of hard to duplicate and um, it, it creates a competitive advantage few can do. Now, you'd have to slow down the pace of service quite a bit, right? I mean, you came up with it off the top of your head right there because, um, you know, I'll just kind of you know, guess or yeah. extrapolate because you've been doing this. I mean, you're, you're in that flow where you're, you're good at connecting yeah. um, like an unexpected customer need yeah. with some way to delight. Uh, but now that I'm kind of talking through it, you know, here on air, I imagine you could train people to, to make that their first instinct. I can also, almost imagine, you know, yeah. you have like, uh, you know, 30 seconds of wrap time and you know an extra two minutes of customer delight time or yeah, something absolutely. like that. Yeah, we, we hear all kind of Disney stories. Yeah. And, uh, but, but here's what, here's one of the things we don't know behind the scenes that, Dick, that Disney does is they share a lot of pixie dust stories. They share about, you know, that. 
we all have heard the story about the housekeeper who took the towel and made it look like a figure. Well, that started with one housekeeper who's, who told somebody, and then it got put in their pixie dust newsletter that spread to all of their properties. And all of a sudden, now everybody's doing something like that. And so part of it is training people to think that way through uh, creativity classes or whatever. But then it's managing the process so that there is a way for everybody to benefit from the creativity of one. And so I don't have to think about all these. I got all kinds of ideas that come from my colleagues who had similar scenarios. So yeah. to me, it's, you know, it's the, the true great contact center is the one that is connected to every other contact center employee and, and, and connects around cool ideas, neat things I tried, you know, et cetera. That's, that's the. Chip, I, I love that. And, you know, yeah. one of the things I think is so cool about it is how visual it is. Just like the example sure. you gave of, of, you know, the restaurant in the Himalayas. I mean, yeah. that person's going to take a photo. Right. Like they, you know, unless they are uh, like staunch anti-photo people, which, sure. uh, you know, uh, you know I, I definitely take fewer photos than most folks because I'm more in the uh, enjoy the moment camp. And, you know, you kind of have two different camps there, but they're going to take a photo. I would take a photo. And then, I, of course, I, yeah, exactly. yeah. So then you're going to want to put that on social media. You're going to want to share with friends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's, again, it's creating that kind of uh, special culture, special connection. I am a, I am a big fan of Chewy. I've got a cat and I order products on Chewy, but I'll tell you how, why I turned to Chewy is I have a friend of mine who called Chewy's call center and the woman on the call knew the dog's name was Lou and asked, now is Lou there? Well, yeah, Lou's, Lou's here. Well, can I speak to Lou? And had him, had the guy put Lou on the phone and talk to Lou, you know, and, and, and how long did that take? 10 seconds. Yeah. My cat got a birthday card because I'd put <laughs> in there, you know, from Chewy. I mean, you know, it's, but it's the little things like that, that you just paid. How about mm -hmm. that? We could get the customer to put their dog on the line. If we're a pet supply place, it, it's not complicated. But it's it's creating the the desire to do it, but it's also creating the mechanisms by which it can be uh, done over and over and over and over across lots and lots of people. Mm -hmm. Now it seems, Chip, that one of the important pieces of that is that it's a surprise. Is that it's it's unexpected. You know, yes. is, is there a risk of customers being accustomed to getting? uh, you know, wonderful things from your company and then starting to devalue that? Or is that like, Hey, when you get to that point, you're already at the promised land. So, uh, well, that that's a, a, a good problem to have. Only if you, only if you think you're going to run out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so here's why I say that is every organization on the planet knows value added. I mean, evaluated, evaluated, evaluated literally means taking what your customer expects and add more. Well, that's linear. And pretty soon you can run out of room, you know, I, I do this for you now. Now what you're going to do for me? I talk about value unique. Value unique is taking a customer. They, I never dreamed they would get to talk to my dog. You know, that's something I didn't expect. And so there's a limit to generosity, the value added, but there's no limit to ingenuity. I mean, we can still come up with creative ideas. Next time I can do this. And so I think it is a better opportunity that that you would we you know the last thing you want to do is to create an expectations that keep climbing 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 climbing. It's what value added does value more and more and more. 
you upgraded me to the first class. Now I want to be upgraded again. You know, always upgrade me. I want the fancy floor in the hotel every time, you know. So you can't focus on always linear. You got to think, what can we do that's different, that's unique, that's unusual, that's unexpected, that the customer would never dream? And again, that takes an innovative culture that's managed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chip, you mentioned a little earlier that uh, customers are quick to share bad stories, um, but don't, uh, you know, they struggle to share positive stories. How do you get customers? How do you mobilize your customers that when they're having these awesome experiences, they then go tell someone so it doesn't just happen in a vacuum? One, you can encourage them to do that. And here again, the stories that I'm talking about, people were really wanting to tell. Mm-hmm. That's why I say it's kind of the, you ain't going to believe what happened to me kind of story. You want to tell those stories. And so, you know, if you just do something more than expected, you know, that, that may or may not create a story that may or may not encourage a customers to say good things, but if it's really unique and different, they want to talk about that, especially if you encourage to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think there are a lot of ways to encourage that. You know, I've worked with companies that said, you know, let's give let's give uh, recognition to the customer who gave us the best story. Uh, we publish in our thing the bit. You know, it's like Stu Leonard's uh, dairy in New England, who you know t- has people take their shopping bag with them on their vacation and take a picture of it and send it back, and they put it on their wall. You know, it's that kind of philosophy. And if you go in their store at Norwalk, they got over forty thousand photos of here I am on the wall of China with my Stu Leonard shopping bag. So it's thinking like that. It's thinking like, what can I do to reinforce this, to reward it, to encourage the customer to want to share it and make it, again, make it easy for them to do that. Uh, you're right. We tend to want to tell the dark stories more than the light stories. Unless the stories are really bright light, then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, Chip, what are some of your favorites, the stories that you've heard that your customers, uh, that your customers, your clients have um you know, produced that, that stick out to you? Well, I'll tell you a personal story. My wife bought a new car and traded in her old car and got a new car. And a week after she had her new car, she turned on the radio for the very first time and discovered the service tech had programmed in her radio stations from her trade-in. Now, what do you think she talks about the car or the radio, <laughs> the radio and Lord, I think what she paid for that car. But what I'm saying is, is that it, that's not, how hard was that? How hard is that? And and so, and, and this is a particular dealership. We both take our car to this. We both have the same brand. We both take our car to that dealership. And, and what's always neat is, you know, you're used to in the summertime, they put a, you know, a bottle of water in, cold bottle of water in the pot. But th- these folks, when I take my car in, there's always a flower laying on the passenger side for me to take home to my wife because they know she takes her car there too. They always make sure that when I go to the waiting area, because I always wait for the car to be serviced, that there's two K-cup hazelnut flavored coffee cut K-cups in the refreshment area because they know I like hazelnut because they ask. Now, what's your favorite coffee? We'll make sure all the times you come, we'll have your favorite coffee K-cup at the Keurig machine in the refreshment area. I mean, I can keep going, but that's the kind of thinking. I mean, it's just, that's why I say it's deliberate, it's planned. I mean, and, and once you've got that kind of foundation, then the serendipity happens and people just make it up. Hey, let's time, let's try this, you know, and that's what you want. That's what creates uh, customers telling stories. 
Yeah, it seems like good note taking is at the heart of that. Like if if you're not taking if you're not asking your customers like good questions about their preferences yeah. and then like recording it for future reference, if you got a ton a ton a ton of customers, um you might not remember now did chip like hazelnut or did he you gotta like make it, French you make it, you're absolutely right it's all about record keeping and making sure it's personalized and or finding a or finding a way i'll give you a fun story and not everybody can do this but i got a friend of mine buys his tires at kaufman tires and he went in he hadn't he hadn't bought tires in about a year and a half two years and he went in to buy a new tire and he walked in the front door and the guy behind the counter said welcome back mr smith and he said, you know, I'm not that good looking. And so he asked the guy, how did you know who I was? I hadn't been here in a year and a half. How did you remember who I was? And the guy said, to be honest with you, when you pulled in, we did not recognize you. But when you pulled in, we got your tag number, put it in our system, and immediately your record came up, and we knew when you walked in the front door who you were. So they very quickly had a system, put in the tag number, license plate number, and there it pulled up his record. So you got to have systems that help that customer do things like that. So you don't always have to know or record it, but you got to have systems that help you manage it. So it feels like that to the customer, you know, that's to me, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like the Bellman, the doorman at, at Marriott, you know, they work out all these systems, you know, well, and I do a lot of, I've done a lot of work with Marriott over the years, but the, the, the person who meets your car when you arrive or meets your taxi or Uber and you get out, first of all, they're trained to look at your luggage tag to know who you are. Well, Mr. Jones, good to see you. Is this your first time here? Oh no, I've been here before. So now the doorman is escorting you into the lobby is so going to reach up and grab his earlobe, which sends a signal to the front desk clerk who greets you by saying, welcome back. Good to see you again. So that's what I'm saying. Looking for systems and ways to make it feel like to the customer um, that we know you. And, and so I think it's that part of it as well. It's, it's a management process. And if you want it bad enough, if you, you know, organizations can figure out ways to do it, even no matter how many customers they've got. Fascinating. You know, there's almost two trends there that we're seeing uh, like in society and business that, that makes me think of that actually conflict. The first trend is, um, you know, I was reading a survey the other day that said, I think it's a, a touch over 40% of customers when they call into the contact center expect that you already know why they're calling. So there's this trend of customers expecting that you have all the information ready to go. And when you call in, it's a welcome back, Mr. Bell. Like, why wouldn't you expect that? Yeah. Right. Right. And on they, the other hand, oh, go yeah, ahead, Chip. Go ahead. No, well, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no worries. I was going to say on the other hand, we're seeing this like increasing desire for privacy and how Apple, when they're, you know, uh, doing their new, uh, uh, iOS, uh, they have some ability to you know, not be tracked or choose which companies track you. And so people are also at the same time saying, you know, my business is my business. I want to be anonymous. And I wonder where the right intersection is because it's a tricky issue that businesses are going to have to navigate. I, I, that's a great question. And, and I think there are customers who would always want privacy. And obviously that needs to be respected. However, 
there are ways what the customer really most not all customers but what most customers want is i i want you to be transparent um i want i want you i want to i don't care if you know things about me but i'd sort of like to know how you do it i'd like to know how, how, like, like the guy going into the tires, how'd you do it? Well, the guy said, no, I'm not going to tell you how I did that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, like the guy does the ear truck, you know, you catch the guy, how do you do that? Well, that transparency is where the key. And, and I'll give you an example. I worked a lot of work with Rich Carlton and uh, over the years, and they have a, a guest um, personal personalized um, system called Mystique. Um, and, Basically, it works sort of like this. Um, if you ordered a fruit, fruit plate uh, and you didn't eat the kiwi, and then you ordered another fruit plate on another stay and you didn't eat the kiwi. The third time you order that fruit plate, guess what won't be on your fruit plate? Kiwi. Now, customers like that kind of personalization. What they don't like is to feel that kind of creep factor where, where are the cameras? Are they watching me? What are you? Uh, and so what Rich Calder has done is found a way to say, it says here in your profile that you don't like the Kiwi. So we made sure you didn't have it. Hope that was satisfactory to you. So now you get it personalized, you like it. We all like personalized service, but it's not done in a way that's creepy. And that's what customers really don't. Ah, you know, what do they know? And, what, and then I imagine what they know that I don't know that they know. And so the way that we, I think, marry that looking for ways to know me and treat me like you know me. And every time I call you, act like you know me and I want privacy. I think the way in which that, that, that it mar is married is through uh, subtle ways to demonstrate transparency to the customer. And there are mm -hmm. ways to do that. Remembering that always there will be some segment of the customer that says, don't, I don't, I want my privacy. And, and you know, and you're gonna have to trade off and say, well, if you want absolute privacy, don't expect personalization because you can't do both. Mm -hmm. I can't know your name and not supposed to know your name. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's impossible. Uh, it, it's really interesting, you know, on every customer service scorecard and one of the skills that everyone talks about that a good agent should have and that people, you know, debate how it should be implemented right. is building rapport with the customer. Sure. And the standard way people do that now is, uh, Chip, I uh, see you're in Georgia. A bright, yeah. sunny day down there. You know, <laughs> exactly. I see you're in Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm saying I have a profile and it says right here, you know, exactly. And so mm -hmm. now you love the personalization, but it doesn't feel creepy, you know, because, you know, there's a system that's doing it and helping you doing it. So, yeah, I think it is the secrecy that the customer repels against uh, more than anything. It's a great point. Like the lack of transparency. Yeah. 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 And, and the thing is, I can imagine there's more uh, juice uh, that you can squeeze out of that fruit, right? There's I see you're in Georgia and there's I see you're in Georgia. Last you called, you mentioned you were going on a fishing trip. How was it? Yeah, exactly. Because you've got the record there. You mentioned that last time and now you know how they know. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that to me, that's that's the key. And sometimes it, there's just fun stuff. You know, I used to, you know, uh, I used to live in Dallas and I'd order my toner cartridges from a company and you know, they would see my, um, you know, they'd see my address and right across the invoice. How about those dog cowboys or something like that? Mm -hmm. You know, just a little addition there, but you know, we like that kind of stuff. Most customers do. 
Yeah. When you think about note-taking that the different uh, customer service agents will do, there's disposition fields, there's note fields, there's you know customer contact info. There's usually not like rapport a rapport field or like you know talking points about things that you know about chip that are personal and connect to the customer. Sure. I could imagine that emerging as a best practice. Absolutely, absolutely, and and in, and it is among those that are really great. Mm-hmm. You know, Zappos has that, for example, and they're a pretty good call center. Yeah, yeah. They've got capacity for the customer to put those kind of notes in there and and um, and 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 remember. Uh, last time you mentioned you your child was sick and how's that child doing and that kind of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, Chip, one of the things I noticed is that you were one of the original pioneers of customer journey mapping, which you know now is an accepted practice, and everyone sure. says, "Of course, you need to do that." Yeah. Um, what did you see back then that other people didn't see? Like what helped spark that, that need for you that you said, I think this is going to be important. Uh, well, my partner and I invented it and started it. We were the ones who came up with it originally, uh, Ron Zampi, he's since passed away, but uh, we were working with a major, well, GTE, we we're working with GTE and we we're working around telephone repair. When your phone went out, uh, what you had to do to get your phone system, phone service back up again. And what we were noticing, it started in the call center because we noticed that the call center operator was getting far more irate calls, more decimal level, more, Hmm. you know, it's like, this is bad, but it's not that bad. I mean, this is what's going on here. And so we said, well, maybe we'd asked a lot of the call center operators, what does it sound like? What do they say? What do they do? Well, you thought it was the end of the world, they'd say. You know, they'd say, you know, like I'm the worst person in the world. They take it out on me. And obviously they took it out on me because that's the only access they had. And so we began to realize there's something going on here. And so we said, what if we what if we did, looked at it through the customer's lens? And what's going on before this? And what's customer, what's the customer's experience been like before that would cause them to be have be so venomous, so extreme, so angry when they reached the call center about the, um, and so the first thing we did before we talked to the customers, we asked the people who were in telephone repair, well, typically what does the customer go through before they call the call center? And they told us what they thought they knew. And then when we started customer call, call talking to the customers about their experience, we noticed a huge disconnect between what the phone company people believed was going on with the customer and what was actually going on. And so we, then we said, well, what if we just took a time and followed the customer's trail of experience from the time they discovered their phone is out to the time it's resolved? What if we just followed it from the customer's angle, from the customer's point of view? And so, you know, and then we got, and as we did, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? Now what happened after that? Well, how'd you feel about it? What happened? Then what happened? What do you think should have happened? You know, da, 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 da. So you go through that whole trail. And then when we took it in and, ta- and presented it to the uh, executive group, we presented it like a map, like um, a diagram of they do this, then this happens and this happens and this happens. This is what they expect. And the common reaction to the executives is, well, no wonder they're so pissed when they call a call center. I'd be too. Mm-hmm. And so what, what they were discovering is that 
a lot of the things that were, they made a lot of assumptions about what customers knew. They made a lot of assumptions about what customers went through. They had no clue how much quote wait time was involved, how many steps were involved that really took, you know, how, how difficult it was. And so it was highly bureaucratic. And so that led to say, I bet you there's lots and lots of other examples of other companies. And so at that time we were calling it a cycle of service and how you diagram a cycle of service with moments of truth. And, and then we had a, a, what we call moment of truth impact analysis where you could take each encounter and say, what did the customer think would detract from this, enhance this, and what did they expect? And so you started to create a whole science around how you better understand through the customer's lens. But always you had to go back every time. This is what we were learning. A lot of companies were missing early in the days of journey mapping. You could be the smartest person on the planet, but you aren't the customer. So unless you go back and say, is this what's really happening? No, 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 we don't do that. And you didn't mean mention that. And so you got to verify everything down to the tiniest detail with customers to make sure you are in fact accurately reflecting what they typically experience. So that's how it all began. And we wrote books about it and articles and all that kind of stuff. So. Chip, hear, hearing you talk about that um, almost um, gives me a, a, a warning that we in the contact center space might actually be going down the wrong direction in some ways. And I'll explain what I mean. Okay. Where, you know, nowadays um, you hear that when a call gets to an agent, um, that calls are getting more complex and more heated. Yeah. And the reason behind that um, is that automation and chatbots and IVRs and virtual agents are deflecting you know, all of the uh, easy to handle inquiries. And uh, you know, if you finally get to an agent, it's the hardest, most complex, most frustrated people. Right. Well, are we setting that up? Like, are we setting ourselves up for failure there? Are we setting ourselves up to, you know, frustrate customers by giving them three touch points before they finally get to a person by trying to like, you know, manage the volume and deflect the interactions? It of seems course like, you are. Of course yeah. you are. <laughs> but that's a trend that we're advancing. Sure, and it seems like, uh, like we, get, we have to be careful about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, of course you are. I mean, you know, when you call any any organization to get a need met, how many times how many times do you want to be transferred? Zero. Zero. So let's start with that's what your customer would really like is zero. Yeah. And you go, okay, well, zero is impossible. Um, so now what's the minimal I get away? And you know, my good friend John Goodman did a lot of research on this um, around how many transfers before the customer goes, this is not good. This is not good. And you got to do a lot of stuff to overcome that. Da, 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 da. And so, yeah, by the time you finally get to the person you need, you're already angry. Yeah. So, so I can imagine that when you, when you reimagine the contact center in the future, you, you won't have any transfers or you may have one, mm -hmm. you know, and that, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll wind up being what you need. Yeah. It's, so, it, it's know, super who interesting. Speak, who will speak the language that you need. Uh, who will know your background, know your history, you know, who'll have the personality that matches yours. All of those kind of things can be done, as we all know. And so that in the future, it's going to happen more like that, where you might just have one transfer. What do you mean when you say speak the language that you need? Well, um, 
their software that can be developed is, is that comes through. You're speaking Spanish, but I'm here in English. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and so I'm, and then I respond, you know, I work with interpreters. I tr- work overseas. I work with interpreters all the time. And I've had interpreters who could do it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, I mean, I, I'm speaking, they're speaking. So it's, um, I'm speaking English, they're speaking Spanish or Japanese or whatever. And so you, you have computers that can, can ultimately, that, that artificial intelligence devices that do that. So when the agent speaks English, it comes out on the other side to the listener in the language that they, that they speak. Yeah, it's so funny. You literally meant the language. <laughs> I, I I thought you were saying like uh you know speaks to you in the way that you want to be spoken to, but you're saying no, like literally the in the language that you know how to speak. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, if you yeah. speak Spanish, then then the, the every contact center operator speaks Spanish through through uh, a device. But they also can, you know, if we've got experience with a customer, we can we can begin to identify, you know, personality traits and preferences and those kind of stuff and you start channeling people to you know a a, a person that can mon- match that and you know this I, I work with a major retailer that that um, had if you bought enough stuff from them you got concierge service and you know you got a call center operator you immediately when you call that phone number took you to a call agent who was really good a concierge you know uh, who mm-hmm. was who was an expert you know and you say well i you only spend $10 a year, you're not going to get that kind of service, but if you spend a thousand dollars a year, you'd get the concierge level person who's highly trained, very good, explain, you know, it's a different level of, it was a, you can also promote people to that. And yeah, you know, everybody wanted to be in the concierge group, you know, so you train for that. You, it's a promotion and all kinds of things like that, that says, man, you buy enough from this company, you get extraordinary service. I want to do that. I want to get that line, you know, Airlines did that, you know. I think uh, that population is going to explode. Just the concept yeah. around a concierge. When you think of movies, and yeah. you think of you know you you're it's a movie depicting the future, and you have a virtual concierge that you hit a button, pops up, and goes, "Hello, Mr. Bell. What can I do for you?" Yeah, absolutely. Right? And maybe they're a hologram, <laughs> but like it's that okay. is it's okay. Customers, yeah. you know. Yeah, I'm okay with a hologram. Yeah, but if it does what it what I need it to do, it doesn't have to be a live person. You know, American American Airlines. I used to live in Dallas, and American Airlines had their executive platinum service, and I traveled. I was at platinum, executive platinum level, and so you were given a 800 number, and so you got in trouble. You had special needs. You call this 800 number, and it changed every year, so you had to earn it. Hmm. And you had to earn enough miles to have that 800 number because it changed all the time. It didn't wasn't the same number that you you got. But when you got somebody on the other end, and, they, and that they would go pull out all the stops for you. Um, they were highly experienced uh, travel people, um, and so you got a real pro. Um, but you got that as a perk because you spent a lot of money with American Airlines. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the the trends that we're seeing nowadays or people are talking about is the transition of the contact center from a cost center to a profit center. Sure. And I, I think the contact center having the ability to create more $1,000 customers, not yeah. just simply when you're there and you're really pissed off and you need something now, yeah. you hit that concierge. But can, is there some tier or person or a team or a population for the $600 customers that are 
experts at getting you yeah. to the thousand dollar tier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you're, and the cool thing about it is if it's done, you know, I, I, I would tell people about my executive platinum service and they go, man, I got to have that. Why don't I have that? We go, well, it's real easy. Just fly all the time on American airlines and you can get it. It's not, it's, you know, it's, so it's the rules of gay engagement are clear and, and transparent and available to all. So, yeah, I, I think I, it's the I, concept to me is what I'm talking about. And yeah. I think you spread that concept across lots of different things. You can see how the call center could, could truly become a, a profit center. Yeah. I, I think that the contact center right now in this era has so much to learn from brick and mortar. Um, because we made this giant shift as a society where, you know, a lot of our needs were not fulfilling in person anymore and fulfilling, you know, digitally, remotely, and including, you know, over chat, phone, email, all the right. other channels. Right. And, you know, you can think about, you know, brick and mortar, so to speak, you know, go back to airlines for a second, where, you know, you go to the airport, you see the United Airlines hub or the, uh, like the lounge, the member lounge. Yeah. And that is something you got to walk by every single time when you're in the airport and you always walk by and you kind of crane your head and you look at it, you go, maybe I'll be there one day. Yeah. <laughs> and You'll I wonder next how- next year if you fly enough. Right? <laughs> so how do, we, how do we bring those sort of experiences into the contact center? Because, you know, if you apply the old model of customer service that says, you come in and I get you out as fast as possible. You're no longer, you know, metaphorically walking by that lounge every day. Um, and no. the contact center needs to, you know, offer a substitution for how do we, you know, get our brand and the value and everything that we can offer and you know, the, your loyalty as a customer, how do we augment that? And, and I wonder what the most innovative brands are doing to make that happen. Well, I think one is to, to think about the fact that most call centers are driven by inbound. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't think of it as a storefront. We don't think of it as the call center also is outbound. Outbound is typically in response to. And so you begin to say, well, what if the call center were also a sales rep? So now they're outbound and inbound. Now they become an ambassador. Now they become a concierge. They become a larger role than just problem solving and handling issues. And so you began to rethink that, that in terms of what are the givens that we tend to assume, big word assume, about the call center? You know, historically we said, well, they all need to be populated together. They all need to be in the same big room. Well, we know that's not true anymore. You know, my travel agent works out of her house 24 seven. So I can call her at four in the morning and get her. And so, I mean, that was part of my requirement. I want a travel agent I can reach all the time. I'm traveling. And sometimes I have a problem because the flight's delayed and I'm landing at two in the morning and I need somebody to help me get the next thing. And I don't need, I can't wait till eight in the morning when the call center opens. When mm -hmm. the, so that whole concept of, you know, what are the other kind of rules that we have, assumptions that we've made about call centers or what they're supposed to be. And we blew those up and said, we don't, well, we don't have to have it like that. Yeah. Um, and so I think you're saying, well, it's always been a call center. What if it's, a what does it look like as a profit center? It always been an, as an inbound driven um, entity. What if it were not? What if it was inbound and outbound? You know, what if we change that? What does that look like? You know, um, where, where does, um, the mechanics and then technology and AI and chatbots and all of that stuff. 
fit in and not fit in. You know, sometimes I feel like we've we've infused it in everything when it might be only done selectively. Mm-hmm. Say maybe we don't do that for everything. And so I think it's challenging all of the assumptions around the contact center and 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 what it is and and I think from that we'll find all kind of creative ways to do the contact center different than it was and probably more in line with what customers really want. Yeah, is there, is there anything that you're seeing now that you're thinking this should be a widely accepted practice or yeah. philosophy, but yeah. it just it hasn't caught on yet. Come on, folks, catch up. Well, one one that's the oldest oldest in the world is you go in most call centers and ask, "What's the number one metric?" Handle time, or CSAT, or first yep. call resolution. Yep. But but let's start with the first one you said. Yeah. Name another job in any company that measures handle time. Manufacturing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. what do we do in manufacturing? We were working with stuff, objects, inanimate objects. Uh huh. So when you take that and say, well, we've treated the call center and handle time, and we're treating it like it's a manufacturing plant where we want throughput as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. Is that really improving the quality? I mean, you know, we know what it does to first call resolution you know, fast, 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 handle time, get off that phone. So they'll call back again and again to get there. We know that doesn't work. And so, but that's still the mentality of most call centers driven by why they've tried to move away and say, no, it's really about CSAT, you know, and that's why I say name another job in any company that's where you're measured by every little second you spend interacting with a live person get off the phone quick, no other job in the company like that, you know, Mm -hmm. other than like you say, when I'm dealing with objects. And so, yeah, to me, that's, to me, that's uh, that drive, that mentality, while it's not near as dominant as once was, I bet you, if you go in the, I bet, I, I bet you go in the call center, you'll see it on the wall. But if I go in the call center, there'll be lights flashing. I bet if I go in the call center, I'll see something that's constantly reminded me, speed up, speed up, speed up. You know, you know, I'm going to take it to an odd place. Um, Barbaro was one of the greatest um, Kentucky Derby horses that um, has ever, ever, um, he he didn't, he got hurt. uh, He won the Kentucky Derby. And then he got uh, hurt uh, in the Preakness and he was destined to win the triple crown. I mean, everybody said, no, that that horse will go all the way, but his jockey never whipped him. And when they interviewed his jockey about why do you never use the whip? The jockey said, he's a great horse running as fast as he can. Why would I whip him? Well, to me, there's a powerful metaphor there is I've got great people. We're handling a call as efficiently as I can. Why would I flash a number in front of their face that says you're not going fast enough? And so to me, it starts there. It starts with the mentality we have. You know, I want a great customer experience first. Do we want to measure handle time? Yeah. I mean, it's, it drives staffing. It drives a lot of things. There are a lot of me- metrics that you want a part, a, a part of a call center 
that'll help with staffing and load and all of those kind of things. But I'm not sure I want my ambassador worried about that the 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 meter when they're try interacting with a customer any more than I want an incredibly champion horse to be whipped because he's not running fast enough at the finish line. I mean, I, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't mean to imply that call center uh, representatives are um, horses. I don't mean to imply that, but I think no. treatment is the same. Totally get it. Totally yeah. get it. So, and it highlights the importance of agent experience. Yeah. You right. hear so much around, um, you want to know how you have a good customer experience? you have a good agent experience. Absolutely. Like, like, you know, agents who are pressured and uh, boxed into corners and unfairly incented and pissed off are not going to have delightful conversations with your customers. No, no, of course not. Yeah. Our kids don't. I mean, you know, we treat our kids bad at home and they're going to be bullies in the class, you know, so yeah. yeah, exactly the same thing. So then how do you have, how do you create a low pressure environment for agents where they're free to do their best work? Um, and that, you know, you also have a level of operating discipline to the contact center where, um, you're not going to, uh, you know, make it a big free for all. Right. I agree with you. And, and, and great operators love the discipline and great operators want the discipline. Great operators want that kind of sense of rigor to what they're doing and take great pride in being able to you know, uh, operate in that kind of environment. And we know it's a, it is a pressure environment. You've got customers. Usually you don't call up just to say, have a nice day. If you're a customer, usually you're calling up because there's an issue or concern or some need that's not been met. So I'm starting from, I'm in an ER environment, so to speak, given. So it is already pressure, but I think the way you, you create an environment where the best are there is you treat your your um, your contact center representatives and operators like like their partners. Um, and one good example of that partnership relationship is how many times do the senior executives, I'm talking about the top four, five, six people in a company, sit with an operator and listen to what's going on on the other end? How much time do they get? I mean, they're this is truly the front line where the action is, but. So how many time do they do? How, do they get to be this? So let's just see what they're hearing, what they're going through. What, you know, Bill Marriott always had a, line, a great line I love. He said, you know, leaders don't visit the front line to make the front line feel better. They visit the front line to learn. And so I think it starts with that, that attitude that I'm there to learn so I can support them in more effective ways. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is, how much time do we spend picking the brain of the operator about what they hear, what they learn, what they're, what the customer's fussing about? I mean, they are scouts. They are scouts of the first order. And my analogy is if you were the captain of a fort in the old wild west and you sent a scout out and they're gone for three days and they come back all wide eyed, you're probably not going to say, I can't talk to you right now. I got to go to a meeting. Well, you know, your call center operators are coming back wide eyed every day. And so we need to take the time to say, what are you hearing? What are they learning? What are they complaining about? What do you teach us about what you, what you, what's going on? You are our primary intelligence source mm. for, for the customer. And so to me, those are just two examples is time spent by the senior leadership and treating the customer like a source of important intelligence. 
that that help create this partnership relationship with them. So they go, I love working here. They treat me like I'm important, like I'm respected. They provide me the best tools, the best resources. They train me to, to do really, really well. And they care about me as a person. You know, I was working at the Ritz Carlton in Naples, Florida, their old property. They've got two properties there. And I was having breakfast and I asked the person, the woman who waited on us to take our breakfast order. I said, what do you like wait, like work? What is it about the Ritz Carlton that, that you like working here? And she said, it's made me a better mother and a better spouse. I said, what? The things they teach you here, the skills they teach you and how to deal with our guests. I take those home and it's made me a better mother and a better spouse. Well, there's, there's the kind of treatment that says, I care about you as a person, not just someone performing a task every day. And so I think it starts with that orientation from a leadership is, is treating folks in a way that says, you're special, you're important, you're our ambassador, you're our scout, you're our, our, our intelligence. And so we need to treat you that way. I think that's actually the primary thing that people want in jobs and careers. Yeah. And the primary thing that they want is development. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form, they want to learn new skills. They want to to advance themselves in some way. They want to meet new people, get new relationships. I, I think the thing that people uh, really can't stand is is the, the feeling of being stuck. Yeah, and right. you hear when someone you can you can see it, you can hear it when someone feels stuck. That's where it's like a get me out of here kind of thing. Exactly. 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 Yeah, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity to invest in agent development way more than than we've done. Yeah. I think it's actually starting to catch on uh, pretty broadly too. I think the contact center space over the last, especially since you know COVID and everyone uh, going remote, um, you know, it went to the top of everyone's uh, you know minds and priority lists of well, how do we train and onboard and support and coach people, you know, while they're all over the country or all over the world. Um, so I really think it really did elevate you know, training, coaching, and development as a priority. Right. And hopefully we continue to see that that trend um, continue. Exactly, exactly. Bob Dylan, the great folk singer said, if you're not busy being born, you're busy dying. And so I think, so, like to your point, that growth is all about being born and renewed. Um, and if that's not going on, uh, people feel like they're dying in, the, in their job. One of the things that uh, Jeff Be uh, Bezos is pretty famous for talking about, or Be I always say Bezos, and I have no clue which one I it is. I think it is. It's Bezos. Yeah, Bezos. Bezos. You got it right. Yeah. One of the things that Jeff Bezos is uh, famous for saying is, you know, look at the things in your business that won't change, right? right? Look at uh, people want fast. People, right. you know, so, you know, they want, uh, you know, delivery, they want ease, they want low price. Like those are things yeah. that won't change. Right. What do you think won't change in the contact center? Like what, what have we gotten right that, you know, in 10 years or 20 years, um, we expect will still be at the foundation of delivering great service and, you know, great sales experiences to our customers. I think that the, I think what we have gotten right is, 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 efficiency that results in speed. I think we'll mm -hmm. always have customers who say, I, the, the, I, want, I want it done in a hurry. Um, but I don't only want it in a hurry. And that the mistake we sometimes make is we think that's all, you know, it's all about speed and only that. 
because I think they also want to be treated in a certain way, and they they'd rather have um, they'd rather have great customer service with a uh, personal touch while being served in a way that's efficient. Um, and so I think that's I, th I think what we also have done that's I think is great is how much effort has been taken to take the effort to make it easier and easier for the customer. That mm -hmm. whole effort. I mean, we've still got a long way to go. It's still too bureaucratic. It's still, I have to wait in too many queues and too many places. But I think we've come a long way at treating it to making a experience that I, it's not like a root canal, but it's not something I'd go, boy, I can't wait to call a call center. It's not like that. But we've tried to make it comfortable, more and more comfortable for the customer. And I think that will never go away. So I think speed, comfort, but that personal touch will always be a critical part of the experience with a call center. What do you think the contact center of 2030 is going to look like? Um, you know, I've often wondered, I've thought about this and I wondered, what, what, what if it went away? What if it didn't occur at all? What can we do to make it as we now think of it? Hmm. What if there was no contact center? What if it was fat? What if we found a way to embed what it did in the experience or in the product? And so it didn't have to have that avenue as a way for me to get a resolution or to get my needs met. What if there were other ways? And I think, I think that's will go toward part of it may be through artificial intelligence, but part of it is through smarter experiences and smarter products that will help solve their own, solve themselves, correct themselves, help the customer solve it. Um, so I think that's, we may not have a contact center as we now think of it in 2030. Wow. Chip, so good talking today. This was uh, really fun. So, oh, uh, me too. I had a blast. Yeah, it's great. Seriously, I uh, would love to have you back sometime. Thank you sure. again so much. And do you got anything that uh, you want to promote? Uh, where can people find you? Uh, maybe your most recent well, book. Well, you mentioned this new book. Right yeah. Here. I always happen to have one back. So Inside Your Customer's Magic Imagination, Five Secrets for Creating Breakthrough Products, Services, and Solutions. You can find it anywhere you buy books. So. Anyway, I'm proud of how it turned out and hope people will enjoy it. Uh, Chip, I'm going to get myself a copy right after we hang up. Thank you again, my friend. And let's uh, we'll be in touch shortly. Thanks, Mark. Enjoyed being with you. Thank you, sir. You too. Take care.